0: Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor, Joe Kerr, with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View from the Wall.
1: What happens during the Tribulation period? Can people come to faith in Christ during that time? And if so, what will they face? Welcome to A View from the Wall. I'm Dylan Brose here with Joe Kerr, and joining us today is prophecy expert Bill Salas. Now, if you were with us last time, you were able to listen to Bill Salas as he talked about some of the fascinating aspects of the book of Revelation and of the tribulation period. And if you did miss it, you can check it out online at iamawatchman.com. We want to make sure you get access to that. And he's the author of many books, including the now prophecies, the next prophecies, and the last prophecies. And Bill, we want to welcome you back to another episode of A View from the Wall.
2: Hey, it's great to be back with you, Joe and Dylan.
1: Well, we enjoyed having you, and we had too much to pack into one episode, so we're doing a part two here. This is foundational stuff for many of our watchmen, but for those who are new to Bible prophecy, we need to define some terms that we use. Just give a brief outline, if you would. What are we looking ahead to in the future? The rapture happens, and then there's some kind of tribulation. Talk about what that is for people who are new to the issue. Right.
2: the uh, There's a seven-year period that ends up being the expiration seven years, final seven years on this for present Earth's timeline, it's called in Daniel 9.27, Daniel's 70th week. And it's a week of years. It's commonly called in, you know, in Christianese, the seven-year tribulation period. And even Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, a time coming of great tribulation. This is God's wrath being poured out on Christ-rejecting humanity. The good news is that there's going to be a lot of people who do get saved during that period of time. But the bad news is that period of time could be rapidly approaching. And we, there's a lot of people who we know and love who don't know about that period and have not accepted Jesus Christ at this point. So as watchmen, which I appreciate on you guys' show, is your telling People how to be a watchman now and you know spread the good news as, as, as comprehensively as you can and redeem the time, because the tribulation period is coming like a freight train running right out of of humanity.
3: Let's talk about that question for a second, Bill, because we kind of leave it hanging there. We get this question. I'm sure you do as well, but we're raptured. We're not going to be here. We're talking about all these events in the tribulation. Why should believers care about what's going to happen then? We're not going to be here.
2: Yeah, and there's this—I get this all the time. Um, You know, there's a few things to think about this, and I'll tell you—let me tell you the— the camps that some of your listeners might fall in both save believers, Christians who are concerned that they might fall into these camps. And then I'll tell you why they should care. Uh, one of the camps is um, I won't be here. Why do I care? Right. Okay. <laughs> that seems a little heartless, but there are people who think that way. Uh, two is the other guy who he's pounding his head on a tree going, I have tried and tried to tell the people in my family and that I love about the tribulation, about, you know, Jesus coming in the rapture, etc., and I'm getting, you know, the hand up, I don't want to, you know, the ears are plugged, the one, my son's pulling out his hair, my nephew's putting his hand out, going, go away, I don't want to hear it. You know, In other words, he's frustrated. And also someone in that camp, too, is the frustration is that, you know, well, Hal Lindsey was talking about the rapture in the 1970s of this late great planet Earth, and Tim LaHaye was talking about in the Left Behind series, and, you know, that stuff hasn't happened yet, you know, and that sort of thing. So you get these Frustrations going in, and they're understandable. But at the same token, the reason you care, and this is what we put out in the last prophecies book, my latest book in this end time series, is because the events are forthcoming that are predicted in the tribulation period that you don't want any of your loved ones to go through. And, and, you know, and we all have that loved one. that It could be a child, a spouse, a grandchild, uh, some family member, someone in our sphere of influence, our neighbor. Uh, someone in a workplace that we really care dearly about that we know if Jesus was to come right now, they would be left behind and they would be left behind in the perils of what's going to happen. And there will be an antichrist and judgment and, and a lot of death and destruction, a lot of martyrdom, uh, a lot of supernatural deception. So that's, that's why we care because, you know, we wouldn't want anyone that we love and care about right now to go through that stuff. We And, and they don't have to. We can hit, we can, get reinvigorated. That's what I try to do with this last prophecy book. Get reinvigorated to come back and redeem the time and, and get, get a second wind on this sort of thing. Care about these people and give them an opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus Christ because they're going to be, if they don't, they're going to be stuck with all the bad news that's going to happen afterwards.
1: Right. And I appreciate that perspective. And one thing I want to make sure we cover before our break, we only have a minute or so, but there's this issue that uh, some believe that the Bible teaches that if you've heard the gospel before the rapture and are left behind, uh, you won't be able to be saved after the rapture. And others say that anyone who hears the gospel can be saved even during the tribulation. What's your take on this before we go to the break?
2: Right, and that's a great question, because there are very you know well-known Bible prophecy teachers that, that teach that. They believe that, and they quote that out a second. They think that that's what's being said in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Yes. I have six different reasons I put out in my Apocalypse Road book, uh, Revelation for the Final Generation, that talks about why that's not the case. First of all, the first one is, it's you know, it's God's heart that for everyone to be saved. He wishes that none would perish. So it would go against the grain of God doing that. Plus, there's multitudes of people who get saved after the rapture. Well, hopefully, we'll talk about that in the second segment. Uh, the worldwide revival in Revelation 7, etc. Uh, also, it'll only take one exception someone who sees his mom get raptured from across the table who had heard about the rapture and Jesus coming, that person drops to his knees all of a sudden. He just you know, mitigate, mitigated against that whole theory. Only one person getting saved after the rapture who didn't make the decision beforehand when they heard the gospel takes out that whole equation. Also, the the text in Second Thessalonians two does not clearly support that, no second chance view, and that's the only one these guys really draw from for the most part. It supports a different interpretation more more thoroughly. And then also probably the biggest one is that what happens after the rapture is there's a gap of time between when Satan introduces a strong delusion and the lie, that infamous the lie with the Antichrist and that sort of thing. That sort of happens as a point of no return at the middle of the Tribulation, which means there's three and a half years of Tribulation prior to that. There's a, we're talking about a gap on your last show, of uh, unknown time before that. So in other words, th- there's strong delusion that they would believe the lie and be turned over and not be able to receive Christ for rejecting him when they heard the gospel before the rapture and being undecided there's a point of time that has to last before they even get to that point where they are given over to the lie. So you know, the point of no return has not happened just because the rapture happened. The strong delusion takes a period of time.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. We appreciate that perspective and would agree with you. And we'll be right back with more here on A View from the Wall. Stick with us.
0: From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. Watchmen follow Colossians 4.2 and, quote, devote themselves to prayer. The word devote is a strong word in the original text. It means to be absolutely committed to the task and to continue without ceasing. Is that how you pray? There's a correlation between how we pray to the Lord and what we accomplish for the Lord. Don't be discouraged when your prayer request is not answered immediately. Devote yourself to prayer. That's the mark of spiritual maturity, and that's the requisite for watchmen. Pray without ceasing. Pray that every believer will have a concern for the lost, will know what prophecy says is coming, and will share the message that the Lord's return is near. Visit imawatchman.com for resources for watchmen. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. I am a watchman.com.
1: Welcome back to A View from the Wall. This is Dylan Burroughs along with Joe Kern. we've been talking with Bill Salas about the events of the tribulation and a couple of fascinating aspects that people talk about but often misunderstand are the 144,000 and the two witnesses. There's some differences there. Uh, we want to talk about what those are. Get us started, Bill, if you would. Describe who are these 144,000 and who are these two witnesses? What are we talking about? What do they do?
2: Absolutely. You know, these are Very fascinating, um, important prophetic topics, because you actually have um, the the gospel going out after the rapture through these several sources. One, of course, will be left behind works and things like that. But you have these actual 144,000 witnesses in Revelation 7, and these two witnesses, independent from them, you actually have (laughs) 144,002 witnesses, but the other two witnesses are in Revelation 11. We'll talk about them in a moment. It's 144,000 witnesses. They come from 12—there's 12,000 from 12 different tribes. They're clearly the Hebrew tribes, so they're Jewish. You know, they're Jewish evangelisms that come on the scene in Revelation 7 after the rapture, and so they're there, and they're preaching the gospel. It's very interesting. They have a worldwide ministry, and we know this because as you read— Revelation 7 down verses 9 on through the close of it, these guys are mentioned in the first, you know, 7 or 8 verses of Revelation 7. They have a, a powerful effect It says that there's multitudes, and John is seeing, the Apostle John, when he's writing about this, he says, I see a multitude, an untold number of people who are coming out, of you know, they're saved, wearing white garments, and they're saved. And the angel tells John, he goes, these are the ones who come out of the Great Tribulation from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So it's a worldwide reach that apparently these guys, these 144,000, have affected positively to get saved. Now, what's interesting about them is there's a mystery in the misordering of their names, and let me explain that. Um, When you have a genealogy listed, tribal genealogy listed in the Bible, it's always listed in chronological order. The first son is, you know, uh, in this case would be Reuben. You know, he's the first son. And the second son would be Simeon. But this is way out of order. And, and you know, Judah is listed first. That's the fourth son. Uh, then Reuben, the first son. Then Gad, the seventh son. And Asher, the eighth son. I mean, they're all out of chronological order, which would cause us to think, well, why did, what's the Holy Spirit trying to tell us here? And it turns out there's sort of a mystery in the misordering of their names. It leads toward their their ministerial message. Their mission statement. So let me let me just break this down for you. I found this fascinating in a deeper study that you listeners might find fascinating. Judah said first, his word means praise God. Reuben means behold a son. Gad means good fortune. So I'm not going to list all their names, but I'm going to just say what they mean. So praise God, behold a son, good fortune, happiness. My wrestling, God has caused me to forget hearing, joining. God has given me higher, elevated, increasing at the son of the right hand. Okay, now, what what could that mean to them at this point in time when Jesus has already come 2,000 years prior or more, and they they understand the true gospel, that he was the, the, the the sacrificial lamb of God, he fulfilled the law. Here's what this would mean to them if you put their words into a mission statement. Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Behold, his son of good fortune and happiness, my struggle with sin and the Mosaic law, God has caused me to forget. Hearing of the mystery of our grafting in with the Gentiles, God has reinstated me into an elevated position of ministry once again, as increasing those being saved through Christ, the son of the right hand. Not the law, but through Christ. So uh, I, I believe that was an intentional misordering of their names, so that these guys, when they're on the scene, they will clearly know that this is their mission statement. This is what their realization is going to be. It is Jesus Christ, is the way to get saved at that point in time, not, not the Mosaic Law. Now remember, at the same time, the Jewish people as a nation will be reenacting the Mosaic Law. They're going to want to build their temple. They are going to start doing animal sacrifices and that sort of thing. And These guys will be running the contradictory message to that. No, that is not... What we should be doing now. We should not be reinstating the Mosaic Law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. The law was just a tutor for us until we realized it was through faith in Christ that we would be saved. This will be the awareness these guys have, and it's encoded in the way their names are misordered, as I would understand that.
3: We can't talk about the two witnesses without talking about revelation 9 four which talks about the seal of God and how that intertwines with all of these witnesses and spend a good amount of time on this in the book and I love the conclusions that you draw talk about the seal of God
2: well this becomes important and i I explain why it's important when you look at what's going on in the tribulation period uh, there's trumpet judgments going on and the fifth trumpet judgment is worse than the first four. It's called a woe judgment. Matter of fact, there's three woe judgments. The fifth trumpet is woe number one. The second, woe number two, is the sixth trumpet. And woe number three is even worse. They get worse progressively. That's why they're called woe. And the third, the seventh trumpet judgment, the big woe, is when the seven bowls come out and through them, the wrath of God is complete. Well, with that preface said, let's turn our attention to the fifth trumpet judgment because it talks about the seal of God a couple of times. Now what's happening is you have this these locusts uh, I believe are demons. It's a, it's a typology of demons coming out of the bottomless pit, and they're specifically instructed to torment men who do not have the seal of God for five months. Don't kill them, torment them to that point of you know where they want to die but they won't be able to die. This is judgment that's coming in the fifth trumpet judgment to those who get left behind, and so it says. Don't, don't torment them that who have the seal of God on their foreheads. It says, men without the seal of God will desire death but being able to die. So it's mentioned twice. So the, the first observation I make in the last Prophecies book is, well, it seems like someone should try to get the seal of God before the fifth trumpet judgment. What is that? How do you get that? Is that available even now? Because you certainly don't want to be, there'll be people probably going through this five months of torment going, well, there's some people not being tormented right now. Why are they not being tormented? Oh, it turns out they've got they're saying the seal of God. Well, I want to get that. Well, maybe they can get that one month into the five months of torment. Maybe they get that in two months or whatever. I'm saying get it before the fifth trumpet judgment. I'm saying get it before the tribulation. I'm saying get it now because it's available now. So that's the point I'm trying to make in the book. You know, what is the seal of God? It would just make most sense to have it before all this bad stuff starts to happen because it's it's signal. It's an earmark of who people are going to escape this torment of these terrible locust judgments. Five months of pain, etc. And when you read the description of these locusts slash demons, uh, it's very, very frightening. So I say to people that, well, here's how you get the seal of God and, and why it's important. And I'm going to, I've put several verses in the book that are proof texts about the seal of God. But I'm going to read one specifically for you and I'm going to paraphrase it real quickly or itemize what's being said because it's available to everyone listening right now who does not know Jesus Christ, have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is the process of getting the seal of God. Because if you don't get the seal of God, and if these tribulation events start to happen soon, and we could be close to those in this final generation, uh, you run the risk of being tormented by the trumpet judgment. So, here's what it says in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. In him, alluding to Jesus Christ, you alluding to a believer. Also trusted after having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. I'm going to read it again and then break it down. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So here's how the process works, dear listener. A person hears the word of truth, which is the gospel message of salvation. They believe it. Then they receive it, meaning they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Having heard, believed, and received, they put all their trust in him. As a result of becoming a believer, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit serves as the guarantor of their eternal redemption. That's how you get the seal of God. It's a gift from God. It's in Ephesians 2, it tells us we are saved by faith, through grace, not of works, so as anyone should boast. It's a gift of God. So this is what's available to our listeners right now. And it will be available to the people even in the tribulation. And it'll even probably be available to the people being tormented during the five months of Trump Judgment, Fifth Trump Judgment. But I'm saying, put the brakes on right now. <laughs> Don't even flirt with that possibility. Don't right. say, I'll wait and see if that happens. Do it right now because it's going to happen. Bible prophecy is 100% accurate. Everything foretold that was going to happen, happened. Everything foretold that's going to happen will happen, exactly like it said. And that Fifth Trump Judgment is coming. And people who have the seal of God will be avoid the torment of it. But you can avoid even going through that if you get the civil God presently while the church is still on the earth.
1: You've been listening to Bill Salas, and we will be right back after this break on A View from the Wall. Stick with us.
0: The I Am A Watchman ministry is supported by people just like you so that we can continue in our call to encourage, disciple, educate, and bring people from all tribes and tongues into a right relationship with Jesus. The I Am A Watchman ministry desires to reach the lost, encourage and equip believers, and prepare for the return of the Lord. There's a great need to share truth and disciple believers. Most in the Western world are not strong in their faith. Billions in Africa and India and in Arab and Asian regions are lost or persecuted for their faith. We want to reach them and equip them. Our vision is to facilitate the multiplication of godly leaders, watchmen around the world. Free I Am A Watchman resources have been accessed by individuals in more than 160 countries, but there's so much more to do. Please consider becoming a prayer and financial partner in this good work. Visit Iamawatchman.com to find out how. Welcome back to A View From The Wall, and we're here with Bill Salas talking
1: about the last prophecies and the events of the tribulation. And one of the encouraging things to me is that even during the tribulation, God is still at work. We have 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are out bringing the gospel to people for the first time. We have two witnesses who are sharing the gospel and bringing people to faith. So even during this tragic time where many judgments are taking place, a lot of good things are happening. And we wanna talk a little bit about the importance of sharing the gospel now. I think if you've been listening to this program and part one with Bill Salas, you will have this new sense of urgency that we need to be talking to people about Jesus now. So talk a little bit about applications from what we've been sharing here today. Bill, what are some takeaways that we can have right now as we look at what the tribulation tells us are coming in the days ahead?
2: Well, you know, I think right now is a very critical time where you have the assistance in the world around you predicted events or stage-setting Bible prophecies, so you actually can use eschatology, which is a study of the end-times Bible prophecies, as a witnessing tool. It's a form of evangelism. You know, you see things going on in the world right now. Things going on in the Middle East with Syria and Iran and Russia. These are countries that are predicted to have end-times prophecies uh, spoken about them in the Bible. and, And the world is watching these things with concern. And they, all they're getting is a secular worldview on the mainstream media. But we've got the biblical narrative and the prophetic perspective to be talking about what's going on. Oh, you see what's going on in Syria. Well, did you know in Isaiah seventeen one it talks about the destruction of Damascus. Did you know that Iran is working on a nuclear weapon and they could shut down the Strait of Hormones? Well, you know, they're in Jeremiah chapter 49 and dealing with Elon. Uh, and also in Ezekiel 38, they've got double trouble in the end times. All of a sudden, you can start catching attention of people into giving them the good news about Jesus Christ. You use evangelism and eschatology at the same time with a skillful awareness of understanding these Bible prophecies. Um, obviously, just talking about the gospel itself is the power of salvation. It's always been important to do that since Jesus paid for his, uh, our redemption on the cross 2,000 years ago. But right now you have this extra added uh, emphasis that you can put in the events going on in the world that people that are starting to trouble people. And these events ultimately will lead to the tribulation period where there are even worse events. So you, you can catch people's attention by saying, did you understand that the Bible has a narrative on what's going on? You don't just have to rely on the, the secular worldview. Uh, the, here's what the Bible says about this and about that. So we encourage the watchmen out there to know the Bible prophecies. You know, Sink their teeth into these things, pick up the commentaries, listen to your show. Of course, you got all these Bible prophecy experts on, and then say, okay, now I can go out there and go to the people I love and know and whoever the Lord puts in front of me and say, look, I want to tell you that there's the whole thing we can talk about here, what's going on in the world, because those topics are coming up over the table. (laughs) People are very concerned about what's going on. So the the power of the gospel is enhanced right now because of what's going on in the world. So you, you combine the two evangelism and eschatology is my advice to people in these times.
3: Bill, that's so good. Thank you for addressing the watchman directly, which we always try to do. But I'm I'm thinking right now, there are people who've heard both of these broadcasts and heard about the Antichrist and the witnesses and all of these judgments, and, and they're just plain scared. Bill, what do they do?
2: Well, here's the promise to believers right now, before Jesus comes to get his bride in the rapture. He's told that we will be saved from the wrath that's going to come through him, and that's in Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. We're told that we were not appointed to this wrath that's going to come in the tribulation in First Thessalonians 5, verses 7 through 10. We're told that Jesus is the one who delivers us from this wrath to come, that these very specific promises to people who accept Jesus Christ presently. Um, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. We're told we will be kept from the hour of trial, It comes to test the whole earth, referring to that tribulation period with the wrath and everything. Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And that we are to, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So Jesus Christ is going to come and take us away from the wrath that's going to come. So, and I would just say one last thing. I always like to read on this in John chapter 14. I'm going to read a few verses here. I'm going to emphasize the pronouns of you and your. So Jesus promised in John 14 a great promise to believers. He said he was going to depart and go to heaven and build them mansions and and prepare a place for them. Here's what he said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. He mentions you and your nine different times in those four verses. That is a personal promise to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. He's preparing a place for them that we'd be together with him, we'd be received by him, and he doesn't want our heart to be troubled. Let your heart not be troubled. He's talking to you who wants to accept Jesus Christ, or you who already have accepted Jesus Christ. He's giving you a personal, most heartfelt message he can in John 14 verses 1-4. through 4. And he goes on to say in verse 6, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it, folks. That's the real deal. In that one verse, Jesus summed up all the false religions. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through Buddha, not through Allah, not through Confucius, or the Hindu gurus, or that sort of thing. He made that statement, and you know what? When he resurrected from the dead, he authenticated that claim. None of the other guys have resurrected from the dead to authenticate what they taught on the other side of the door of life. Jesus Christ knows eternal life. He resurrected, he ascended, and he's going to come back and get us who believe in him, and he's going to take the same pathway upward that he took because he knows how to get there to Him, He is the way, the truth, and the life. But no one's going to get to the Father except through Jesus Christ.
1: These are such powerful words, and we thank you, Bill, for sharing those with us. There's so much more in this book, and we want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Last Prophecies. You can pick this up through Iamawatchman.com, or you can go to net. Again, Prophecy D-E-P-O-T, ministries.net, where you can find out more about Bill Salas' testimony and resources. Bill, thank you for being with us here today on A View from the Wall.
2: Thank you, too. It's always a treat to be
1: on your program. To all of our Watchmen, we look forward to being with you next time here on A View from the Wall.
0: A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip Watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit Iamawatchman.com. A view from the wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am a Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at Iamawatchman.com and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.